We're going to Bible uh, together, and uh, we've begun a series uh, in recent days in, in 1 Corinthians. And uh, last week, um, Edward preached a brilliant message, uh, and if you've not listened to it, I encourage you to go on the SoundCloud and, and listen to it. It was a brilliant uh, word. And uh, next week, he's going to preach an equally brilliant word on the wonders of the cross. And, but I have the privilege of teaching on a passage that's sandwiched in between called A Church Divided. So, if you'd want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 10 to 17. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone. I just love the way it's written, isn't it? He's, he's, you know, either someone's writing it for him, he's dictating, and he's just remembering, oh, yes, yeah. Or someone said, no, you baptized Sosthenes. <laughs> for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this letter and we thank you for its encouragement already in these past weeks as we've uh, just spent time looking and uh, seeking to teach um, from these early verses in Corinthians. And we ask for your help this morning that we might hear what you would have to say to us through this passage into our situations, our lives, into the the situation of your church worldwide as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this uh, talk, as I like to give titles to to talks, Cliques in Corinth, and uh, Divided We Fall. But I'm reminded of when Paul planted the church in Corinth. You can read about that in Acts uh, chapter 18, the story of how Corinth was planted. He was really encouraged in his mission one night because God spoke to him. It was in a vision. And uh, God spoke to him and says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. I have many in this city. And Paul was so encouraged by the Lord just from that vision that he had to keep pressing on in Corinth. 
One of the many, many things that I am grateful for about our fellowship here of Camden Baptist Church is that in all the the years that I've been here, 24 years nearly, in all its ups and downs, we have maintained a unity in Christ Jesus. We've seen God's protection. We have kept our eyes on Jesus. From the saints of, uh, you know, when I first came, like Alice Benfield, who could have taken her eyes off Jesus and focused on the pews and the organ and the styles of worship, but she didn't, and she encouraged all the other oldies to let those things go. She didn't like the new music. She didn't like the drums. But she liked Jesus more. And it was wonderful to have attitude like that within a church. Because you, you probably think this is impossible. But churches can fall out one, with one another over things like that. And the enemy seeks to bring division to churches. We, we can see that all over. In the challenges of the renovation work that we had on the high street building when we didn't have any money and and we just stepped out in faith to be in debt. We kept our eyes on Jesus and we paid off the debt within a few years. Whether it be that church planting where we planted Shipston and Bidford and, and we've moved to the school and we're establishing something in Stowe. We've kept our eyes on Jesus. I remember one vision meeting during the worship, and it's, it's always a brilliant time when we gather to worship. And uh, just as we were worshiping, I had a vision of an angel. And, and as we were just worshiping, he was massive. I say he, I don't know. He was bigger than the building, the high street building. And he was standing over us. Bigger than this building. And I remember just in, in, the, in the middle of the worship time, just kind of asking God, wow, what's this about? And what I heard was, I'm here for the protection of the church. This church. I'm so encouraged by that. But we are called... To stay alert, to take our stand against the enemy's schemes. Because the kingdom of heaven is opposed. Satan's strategy from the very beginning is to crush the church, to make it ineffective. I've been reminded this week of a brilliant book by C.S. Lewis. It's on my shelf. It's all battered. It's called The Screwtape Letters. Have you ever read it? It's just brilliant. And in that, C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful theological creative mind, um, takes the position of a sort of um, senior devil, talking to his junior devil about how we can disrupt the church of Jesus Christ. So division, divide and conquer. And Satan's strategy hasn't really changed. Brutalize it. We've watched a video this morning of the church being brutalized. 250 to 260 million Christians worldwide facing persecution. 
And for a time that it may seem that the church is being wiped out in a place. But Satan always overreaches himself. And unwittingly revives the church. Just think of China. Probably the biggest revival the world has ever seen. Came out of a place where it was crushed. From outside that brutalization, but also the Satan has tactics to divide from within to bring disunity. Perhaps these seem more subtle. And some of these include like mess with the message. Get churches to take their eyes off Jesus. Onto anything else. Any other subject. Other than the cross and the need for salvation. And that division can be theological, ethical, moral. It can be about compromising the community. I read this week about the story of Paul Negroot, who was a Romanian pastor during the communist days. And the communists spread a rumor that he was sleeping with a lady from the choir. And it divided the church. Because it got gossiped all around. And it wasn't even true. And no one actually thought to ask him. Or the story of an Iranian pastor who was arrested. And his church saw him arrested. And the authorities just treated him so well. Gave him a lovely meal. and Looked after him. And sent him back. And the church got so suspicious of him because had he done a deal with the authorities, what had he said? Because he hadn't been punished. Do you know how subtle that seems? Tempting leaders to fall. Another strategy. Divide it. And Paul writes this letter to a church that he loves. And it's an appeal in this passage for unity. And he says, I appeal to you. And he uses that word Adelphoi, which means brothers and sisters. And note how seriously that Paul takes this threat when he's told about it from Chloe's household. Also note that he names his source. Sometimes we're tempted when we want to sort of bring criticism in the church. Say, Some people are saying. Paul doesn't say, well, some people have told me names Chloe's household. And he issues them with a solemn charge. I appeal to you, not in the name of Paul. He says, I appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul knows that division within the church will set it up for failure. Divided local churches never seem attractive to those who are looking in. And the Holy Spirit can be quenched. 
It's like a fisherman with broken nets, wondering why they never catch any fish. I note that when Jesus first met some of his disciples, what were they doing? They were mending nets. Because they know that broken nets don't catch fish. Paul finds this news sad and painful. So what's the cause of the division here in Corinth in the verses that we read? Obviously, we can see that there are cliques. There are factions emerging and they're rallying around the names of early Christian leaders and Jesus. And I'm certain with no encouragement from those individuals themselves. And whatever the causes of these developing cliques in Corinth, the situation has become one of strife and quarreling. They have taken their eyes off Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. There are bound to be different views and opinions and emphases and ideas within the life of a local church. That is normal. Over any number of things. You know, take one Sunday morning, there'll be some who who thought something was great and others who thought, well, that shouldn't have been there or, you know, disagree over a few things. But it's not the main thing, is it? But this, what is happening in Corinth, has become much bigger. A danger point has been reached. That church had allowed differences of opinion to develop into cliques, destroying their fellowship. And Paul mentions four groups. There's the Paul party. I follow Paul. Now, Paul had planted the church. And many were understandably very attached to Paul. Many would have seen them as their, their father in Christ. Many of them would have been brought to faith by his teaching and his preaching. And they would have felt forever in his debt. But Paul has now been gone a few years. It is always difficult as as a leader in a church when you go to a church and they all talk about the last pastor. The great saint that he was and, you know... However influential Paul was, he knows that they've taken their eyes off Jesus, this Paul party. The subgroup of it may have included the good old days group. You know, some churches have a good old days group. Things were better in the olden days. Let's turn the clock back. It was better when Paul was here. And within that, there's kind of a refusal to let God's love mold our attitudes. Paul says there's an Apollos party as well. I follow Apollos. I don't know if you know who Apollos was. He appears in the story in Acts. He came from Alexandria. One of the great kind of university cities of the ancient day. It was the Oxbridge 
of the ancient world. He was a gifted speaker, preacher, orator. He had intellectual abilities above many. He was skilled in interpreting the scriptures. Paul, by his own admission, says he didn't speak with eloquence. Maybe there was a kind of intellectual elite in Corinth who preferred that kind of preaching. You know, we want deeper teaching. Do you have a favorite preacher that you listen to on, online? I mean, I love listening to Judah Smith. Anyone listen to Judah Smith? I think he's a fantastic preacher. Feel inspired every time I listen to him. Simon Ponsonby is another kind of favorite of mine, more on a little intellectual basis than Judah. But I'm not going to compare them. Which is the better preacher? I listen to them because they draw me closer to Jesus. They point me to Jesus. Sometimes we do suffer from a bit of celebrity culture within the Christian church, whether it be worship leaders or preachers. Do you know you can have two preachers in the same church sharing leadership? And it is normal probably to compare them. But what is wrong is to put one down over the other. Edward and I share the preaching. We preach in different ways. But we complement each other. Anyway, there's also a Peter party. Peter, we don't believe, actually went to Corinth. We can't be sure about that, but we don't think he did. But maybe there were a group within the church that had kind of a Jewish background and would have sort of said, well, Peter, he's the one that we uh, look to. I'm sure they didn't forget that Paul was a Jew, Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. But we do know, as we'll look through further in the book of uh, the letter of Corinth, 1 Corinthians, that there were debates about the rights and wrongs of certain things going on. Food laws, etc. We know from Galatians that Peter and Paul actually had clashed over some of these things. Maybe there was a little sort of legalistic group within the church. We need, we need to lay down what is right and wrong and a bit dangerous to over-focus on grace. And again, they're taking their eyes off Jesus. And then we come to the interesting one that's called the Christ party. I follow Christ. And at first glance, you can be a little bit confused by this. Why does Paul identify this group as an unhelpful faction among the others? Surely this is the godly group. We don't follow Paul, Apollos, Cephas. We follow Jesus. But Paul identifies them. There may be an issue here of 
you're all wrong and we're right. Kind of superiority in terms of spiritual experience. And there could be a little hint of anti-authority about them. We actually don't need human leaders. We have Jesus. We don't need pastors and teachers. and We don't need apostles even. We have Jesus. And, and part of it sounds great, doesn't it? But actually, Paul believes they've taken their eyes off Jesus onto themselves. The others are not spiritual enough. Well, they could have been intimidating with their hotline to God. As we shall see later in Paul's letter, he addresses some of the specifics. What I'm grateful for is in this fellowship that there is an accountability. When people sense that we feel God is saying something, they say, well, can you weigh it up? Can you, can you test this out? Because it's really intimidating when someone says, God's told me this. You have no argument against that, have you? Unless you say, well, he didn't tell me. In church history, all of these groups have been replicated again and again and again. So Paul makes this appeal for unity. Is Christ divided? Has Christ literally been chopped up and parceled out? And Paul says, was Paul crucified for you? No. Only Jesus took our sin. Only Jesus conquered death. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? No, you weren't. You were baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul is appealing for that Unity in the spirit and humility be like Jesus. What he will say in Philippians, that passage we read right at the beginning, looking to Jesus. We are all equal at the cross. As we'll be encouraged in the next passage not to take our eyes off the cross. We all come equal in Christ Jesus. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need a saviour. And we acknowledge the lordship of Christ in baptism. Not that Paul is saying here that he doesn't like baptising people. But he recognised that that became an issue. He wants to see people baptised. He'll talk about that as well. And he points to baptism. To encourage you to keep revisiting that pledge that you made in baptism. You gave your life to Christ. You belong to Christ. You're under new management now. It's not about who baptized you, but into who, into whom you were baptized. In fact, he takes them back to that profession of faith. So this appeal 
of Paul at the beginning of this letter. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus, church. There will be things you disagree about, I am sure. But they are not the main thing. And we all play a part as God's body in protecting the unity of the church. Fight the enemy's schemes. Normally, humility is more than a match for the devil's tactics. Churches may be weak in lots of ways. We, we may struggle in lots of issues, but God still in his grace uses us. But a church that takes its eyes off Jesus. A church that becomes divided and factional and speaking ill of each other. We lose our effectiveness. Christ is not divided. But sometimes we self-mutilate. We won't do well if we keep cutting our arm off or our leg off. And so today wasn't a passage I thought, oh, brilliant. I'd love to speak on this passage. Can't wait. But what I do know is we have kept the unity of the spirit because we keep our eyes on Jesus. So let's make another stand today that as church in this place, we just keep our eyes on Jesus. Whatever may seek to divide us, we will bring it to the foot of the cross. We will in humility consider one another better than ourselves. Because when we do that, Jesus shines. I've been asking recently, I mean, I've been asking all my Christian life for more wisdom, but more and more, I've been asking for God's wisdom. The wonderful thing is that the Bible says if we ask for it, he'll give us wisdom. The other thing I've been asking for this week is, Kind of that old prayer of more of Jesus. And I've been hearing God saying, no, Philip, I need more of you. Same with the Holy Spirit. I want more of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit wants more of me. More of you. So as we make space this morning to worship and what a joy it is to lift our voices in praise. If you're facing any challenge this morning in your life, in your circumstances, one of the things that you can do in fighting that battle is to praise Jesus. It is powerful. So I'm going to invite the band to come back as we make some space to worship, encounter the Lord together this morning. And if you need anyone to pray with you this morning, if you're in pain this morning, and I would encourage you, ask someone to pray for you. If you have a need this morning, ask someone to pray for you. We'll have 
uh, folks from the, the team, I don't know how many have we got this morning from the prayer team, but we're all a prayer team. 